Beloved, our call to worship this morning is from Isaiah 51, verses 4 through 6. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Romans chapter 10. God's inflexible standard of righteousness and how that is met in Christ. Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or, Who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. May God bless the reading of his holy and infallible word to our hearts. 
Well, beloved, as we've done with past Lord's Days from the Heidelberg Catechism in recent weeks, I want to do this once more. Uh, we went through Romans 4 through 6. Now we're going to jump ahead and consider Romans 10 in relation to Lord's Day 25. And I trust that as we read the Lord's Day, it'll become clear as to uh, why and what we're doing. The Lord's Day 25 introduces the sacraments, but it's also connected with what comes before. So I want to dwell one more time on uh, the aspect of faith before we move into several Lord's Days dealing with the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we'll focus mostly this morning on question 65, but I'll read the entire Lord's Day so that it sets the context for what follows in the following Lord's Days as well. Question 65, since then we are made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith only. Whence or from where doth this faith proceed? Answer, from the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. Question 66, what are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely, that he grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Question 67, are both word and sacraments then ordained and appointed for this end, that they may direct our faith to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed, for the Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ, which he offered for us on the cross. Question 68, how many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant or Testament? Two, namely Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Together with that, we'll consider Romans chapter 10. Well, we often hear the the word faith used in our culture around us. Faith. You just have to have faith that things will work out, that the pandemic will end. We have to have faith in, in science and doctors. Or we meet someone on the street and we ask them, do you, do you believe in God? They say, well, I'm, a, I'm a person of faith. I'm a religious person. Faith is used rather loosely. The question is, what or who do you have faith in? What, what is the object of your faith? What is the faith about which you're speaking? What is your faith grounded on? What is it resting in? Even more to the point, where does your faith come from? What is it that brings faith into existence? And what is it that sustains our faith? That's the vital question. The ordinary way for God to work faith is through the preaching of the gospel. The ordinary way in which God sustains faith is through the preaching of the gospel. The ordinary way in which God further sustains and strengthens faith is through the sacraments. In order to benefit properly from the sacraments, we need to get the first question right. Where does faith come from? Sometimes in our thinking, we are tempted to think that the Lord's Supper and baptism practically speaking, are those things which work faith 
in the hearts of God's people. We perhaps don't come to communion because we think that we don't have faith. That the Lord's Supper is only there to, to work faith or to strengthen faith in those who are advanced in faith. That those things are out of our reach. But there's a particular order in which God works. He brings faith into existence through the preaching of the gospel, and He strengthens faith, even weak faith, even very, very weak faith, through the sacraments. But this morning, we want to answer this question first. Where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? In order to understand faith better, let's look at what Paul is saying from Romans 10. He's answering that question for us, which will be our theme. Where does faith come from? And Paul demonstrates through the way of negation, through a negative way, what the focus of faith is. Faith that is brought to existence through the preaching of the gospel has a particular focus. In the opening verses, Paul shares the burden that he has for the Jews. Romans 9 through 11 are those three chapters that deal with the place of the Jews in God's economy of salvation. Where did the Jews fit now, now that the gospel has expanded to the Gentiles? What is God's purpose concerning the Jews? And here, Paul is showing something of his burden for his fellow countrymen. In Romans 9, he he states passionately, I would that I could be cut off for the sake of my brethren, so they might know Christ. Here, he shares, shares in Romans 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Maybe we're puzzled with that. We thought Israel were the people of God. Why is Paul praying this way? This is his heart's desire for the Jews, those who had every religious and spiritual privilege brought to them under the sun, as he says in Romans 9. The Jews who are the Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came who is over all, God blessed forever, all men. Israel had everything pertaining to the knowledge of God. But all this tremendous religious privilege had not led to their salvation. How do we know that? Well, Paul writes in verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. The Jews had zeal for God. They worked hard for God. They tried to keep the law. They engaged in the service of God. They sacrificed day after day after day. They did all the things. They were, they were the privileged people of God. They were the covenant people of God. They demonstrated religious fervor. Their knowledge of the Scriptures was second to none. And yet for all this, Paul says they had no true saving knowledge of God in Christ. Their faith, for the most part, Paul is speaking here generally now of of Israel, the large part of Israel. There were true believers in Israel, but for the large part, their faith was a counterfeit faith. It had a misplaced focus. Their focus was on doing, on attaining that righteousness of God by themselves. Their focus was on setting their own standards. If only we do this, then God will receive us. If we keep the law perfectly, then we will attain what God wants us to attain. This was said before me vividly recently. I preached in New Jersey several months ago. 
On the way to New Jersey, I stopped in New York City in Brooklyn to visit my cousin from the Netherlands, who does outreach work amongst the Jews, the ultra-Orthodox, and the Chabad Jews. It so happened that we went on the Day of Atonement, which the Jews call Yom Kippur. It's the high day of the Jewish religion, the Day of Atonement. What do we think of when we think of the Day of Atonement? We immediately think of the high priest going into the Holy of Holies with the blood. We connect that to the cross of Jesus Christ. We stood outside the synagogue in the streets of Brooklyn, began to speak with their leader. While we were there, my cousin pointed out, he said, you'll notice that none of them are wearing leather shoes. Every single one of them was dressed in a black suit, the men at least. But none of them were wearing leather shoes. Most of them were wearing tennis shoes or plastic slippers, sandals, dressed in black. We walked past the overflow tent and we could hear them chanting and moving back and forth and humming, saying their prayers, reading the Torah according to the prescribed standards of worship keeping their prayers and their vigils. The day that we were there was a day of of prayer and fasting. The zeal and the knowledge was evident. They had the Old Testament Scriptures. And then we began to speak with them. Their leader shared how he viewed and how the Jews view the Day of Atonement. And it was this way. They had to perform good deeds in order to outweigh the bad deeds they had done. The day that, they were, that we were there, they were afflicting themselves, fasting and praying. The day before was the day of alms in which they would, would give alms liberally. While we were standing there, someone came up and dressed in in Jewish garb, began to ask for alms. The leader laughed. He said, we can easily pick out the counterfeits. If he would have come yesterday, he would have made thousands of dollars by just walking along the sidewalk and asking for alms. The good deeds have to outweigh the bad deeds. That was the Jewish gospel. Which in essence is no gospel at all. Because it places the focus on doing. The zeal, but without knowledge. And so we had opportunity to share the gospel and our view of the atonement with him. He was asking us questions. How do you celebrate the atonement? The conversation turned to Jesus. And immediately it switched direction, zeal, knowledge of the Scriptures. But they lacked true saving knowledge, being blinded by their misplaced focus on their works. This is what Paul writes in verse 3, doesn't he? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, the good deeds outweighing the bad deeds, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. But it's my fear, beloved, that it's not only the Jews in Brooklyn that are living this way. There are some of us who are living this way this morning. We're going about to establish our own righteousness. We think that somehow our good deeds will, will outweigh our bad deeds and God will receive us. No. We will never attain to the righteousness of the law by keeping the law. It's a fool's errand. Your focus is misplaced if this is how you're living. You're living in ignorance of God's righteousness as revealed in Christ. If you go all the way back to Romans 1, 16 and 17, what does Paul say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
which is the righteousness of God to those who believe. A counterfeit faith, you see, seeks to establish its own righteousness, its own standards, apart from God's revealed righteousness that is preached through the gospel. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to have faith than to believe the gospel that is preached. The gospel that focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we can distinguish between counterfeit faith and saving faith by the activity of faith. This is what Paul makes clear in verse 3. The end of verse 3. He states it negatively. He says, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. This, this language of, of submitting speaks of the will, a refusal to submit what God has revealed in Christ. Speaking to the Jewish leader on the streets of Brooklyn, refused to submit what God had revealed in Christ, the conversation turned immediately. A counterfeit faith, you see, continues on in pride, asserting its, its righteousness, asserting your own righteousness over God's. You're saying, my way is better than God's way. You're not submitting yourselves to what God has shown and preached in the gospel again and again and again if you're sitting here in unbelief this morning. What does it mean that faith submits to God's righteousness? Was the gospel is preached as Christ has set forth as the end of the law for righteousness, as the fulfillment of the law, as we'll see in a moment. We begin to see that our righteousness is nothing. Our righteousness can never attain to what, what God requires. But the glorious reality, the good news of the gospel is that God has revealed His righteousness in Christ. The standard has been met. It speaks to obedience. It speaks to a willingness to surrender our own supposed righteousness and say no to that and submit to God's. Submitting to God's righteousness, you see, kills the pride of religious activity, of religious privilege, and religious blessings as our standing, as our ground, as our foundation for acceptance before God. It's not saying that religious activity is wrong. Does our religious activity proceed from faith in Christ, or does it precede faith in Christ as a way of acceptance to God? It's crucial in how we order these things. Faith submits to God's righteousness. Focuses in on Christ. Paul writes in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Here in summary, we have the gospel. Christ is the end. He's the fulfillment. He is the one who has attained that righteousness that God requires both in His death and in His obedient life. This is where faith focuses, true faith. Not on one's own activity to earn salvation or favor with God, but on Christ as the one who is the completion of the law. Children, maybe you've been to Great Wolf Lodge recently. For those of you who are shorter, it's a disappointment, isn't it? When you come to the water slide, and there's a measuring stick as you go up the stairs to the water slide. It says, if you meet this height, you can go down the water slide. So you try to get on your tiptoes. You try to meet that standard right there to, to get on that water slide. You want to you get on that slide so badly. But you can't. You can't quite get there. You see, that's a picture of a person who's trying to keep God's standard, God's measurement 
of righteousness, of holiness, of perfection. What the law says is that you need to meet this this standard in order to enter heaven. And so what do we do in our human nature? We try to tiptoe. We're almost there, but not quite. We We try to attain that standard, but we can't quite get there. But here Paul points out that we can stop tiptoeing. We can stop tiptoeing this morning. We can stop stretching ourselves trying to reach that standard of righteousness. Because that standard of righteousness has been met in Christ. He is the end of the law. All those who are in Him, in union with Him, have have met that standard of righteousness and are perfect in Him. That's the reality of faith. That is the focus of faith. Not my righteousness, but Christ's qualifies me to enter into heaven. As we saw last week, it doesn't mean that we leave the law in the dust and live how we want. But no, we relate differently to the law then, don't we? We begin to keep the law out of the obedience of Christ, out of the righteousness of Christ. But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. The end of all this religious activity. The end of all this religious fervor to try to to attain to that standard that God has set. Moses describes the righteousness, Paul says, which is of the law. In verse 5, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Well, no one could ever do this other than Christ himself. Christ is lifted up here this morning as the only hope for sinners, for unrighteous ones, particularly religious sinners, those who have been tiptoeing perhaps all your life, trying to reach that standard. If I have this, and if I have this just right, and if I can order my life just just this way, If I have this experience and then that experience on top of that, then God will receive. No. Stop tiptoeing, my friend. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. This is the gospel that is preached, that generates faith in the hearts of sinners. This is the singular focus of faith that responds to the preaching of the gospel. So where are you resting this morning? Where's your focus this morning? Because that will tell you where you are in relation to God. It will tell you where you are in relation to the law. It will tell you where you are in relation to Christ. It will tell you where you are in relation to one another as believers or not. It will tell you how you've responded to the preaching of the gospel this morning and in the past. But that still leaves the question, doesn't it? Where does faith come from? Well, Paul is clear in our second thought, the source of faith. We've seen the focus, but now we see the source of faith. Paul personifies, in in the next verses 6 through 13, he personifies the voice of righteousness. Interesting device that he uses here as as he moves through to explain how the preaching of the gospel works faith. Similar to how Solomon in Proverbs 8 gives wisdom a voice. Paul gives righteousness a voice. Here, it's the voice of Christ. That wishes to underscore once more that the standard of righteousness has been met in him. Verses 6 and 7. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to to bring up Christ from the dead. What's Paul saying here? Seems kind of strange, doesn't it? 
Well, he's saying that the righteousness of faith, the righteousness of God that is complete and whole cannot be reproduced by anyone or anything because it's already been completed in Christ. It brings us back to the cry of Christ on the cross. It is finished. There's nothing that we can do, no spiritual exploits. The gospel is preaching to us this morning. The voice of righteousness is saying to us this morning, don't ascend to heaven. Don't say to yourself, if only I could ascend to heaven, then I will be okay. Because that would be to bring Christ down again from the accomplished salvation that he's already done. And don't say in your heart, if I could just go into the deep, if I could just go into the grave and I could rise again, that would, that would mean something, wouldn't it? But the righteousness of faith, the voice of Christ, the preaching of the gospel says, no, that would be to bring Christ up again from the grave. His once-for-all work in the resurrection and in the ascension indicates that the work of salvation is complete. We cannot add to it. We cannot subtract from it. It is finished. We cannot reproduce the work of Christ. No amount of trying, no amount of working will accomplish this. And so the gospel calls us to submit to the righteousness of Christ. To submit to the completion of his work in his ascension, in his death and resurrection. It's all there. It's all accomplished. And that's what Paul is going to show. That it's the work of Christ that forms the foundation of believing and confessing. No amount of spiritual exploits or experiences or activity or fervor or zeal can add to the finished work of Christ. But what does Paul say in verse 8? But what saith it? What does the righteousness, what does the voice of righteousness say? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Here we're brought to the very source of faith, the word of faith. Faith is not found in ascending into heaven or descending into the deep, trying something that we try to produce within ourselves. No. Paul says the word of faith is nigh thee. The word that brings faith, that the Holy Spirit uses to bring to work faith. Well, you say, well, that's anticlimactic, isn't it? The Word of God, the Word of faith, is the source of faith that the Holy Spirit uses, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the Word. Yes. Yes, and the voice of righteousness says it is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. It's so close. That's what the Heidelberg Catechism teaches in Question and answer 65. Whence doth this faith proceed? From the Holy Ghost who works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. That's it. The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth. There doesn't have to be an extraordinary spiritual experience or exploit. But the simplicity of the preached gospel that the Holy Spirit delights to use to work faith. Are you paying attention this morning? Or are you sleeping the hour away? As long as I check this off the box, I'm off the hook. No, you need to pay attention. This is the means that God uses to work faith. Because the preaching of the gospel brings us to the only sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's where the sacraments also bring us as Lord's Day 25 is clearly teaching us. All the means of grace bring us back to Christ. Listen to what Paul says in verses 9 through 11. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth... The Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Not that you have to do these things yourself. No, but to believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. 
and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Here's a beautiful summary to show how a sinner receives the righteousness of Christ. Believing with the heart. Confessing with the mouth. The person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all. Simple, isn't it? To those who are trying to earn their own salvation, it seems too simple. Because we can't do anything. Because it's already been done. It's simple, yet profound. When we stand before the cross this morning, we see who Christ is. We see what He has done. can never plumb the depths of what he's done. Extraordinary in its power, yet shockingly ordinary in its simplicity. But here we see again that faith is focused solely on Jesus Christ, his person and his work. As he's lifted up in the gospel, the response to the preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit works is faith. Christ in all His glory this morning calls sinners to believe in Him, to lean on Him for their only righteousness. Not one shred of our own righteousness can remain in light of what Christ has accomplished. It's a summary of the gospel. No hope of righteousness apart from faith in Christ. His resurrection, confession of our own helplessness, the power of Christ to save. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For those who've made a mess of their lives, for those who've been working hard, for those who have been tiptoeing for many years of their lives, whosoever. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Christ himself says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Believing in your heart. Knowing your need and crying out to him as your only righteousness. Confessing that your only foundation for righteousness, for justification before God. It's what God has revealed in the gospel. What God has revealed again this morning through the preaching of the word. Indeed, this gospel is preached far and wide as verses 12 through 13 make clear. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the religious Jew and for the heathen Greek, the answer is the same. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever again shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we start throwing up roadblocks, don't we? I'm too much of a sinner. I don't have this and I don't... Stop tiptoeing. Stop tiptoeing. Any disqualifiers to come to Christ this morning for His righteousness is taken away by what? By the Lord's richness and liberality to those who turn and believe on Jesus Christ. In fact, there's an ironclad guarantee in the text this morning, in the very Word of God which we preach to you, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, the gospel doesn't deal in vague generalities that if you believe, then maybe you will be saved. No. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, calling upon the name of the Lord implies that you know something of your need, and calling upon the name of the Lord implies something of knowing where your need can be filled and and met and dealt with in the righteousness of Christ. The name of the Lord is a strong tower 
The name of the Lord proves to be powerful in saving. You remember the book of Acts, the series on Acts that we preached to you? What was central to the book of Acts in the preaching of the apostles and the preaching of the gospel? It was the name of Jesus. It was the name of Jesus that caused consternation in the religious leaders. It was the name of Jesus that led to people being born again. People coming to faith. The preaching of the gospel used by the Holy Spirit produces faith in those who hear. Note the whosoever in our text. Any sinner, any man, any woman, any child. What qualifies you for the righteousness of Christ this morning? Isn't it your unrighteousness? Isn't it your sin? You see, our sin is perfectly matched in the righteousness of Christ. What we lack, Christ gives, imputes freely to our account when we believe the gospel that is preached. Where does faith come from? comes through the preaching of the gospel, through the publication of it. That's what Paul drives at in verses 14 through 17. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all believed our report, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now, some use this as a way to encourage mission and outreach and evangelism. And indeed, that's what we're encouraged to do if we're believers this morning, to go out and, and preach the gospel. It's not just the work of the preacher this morning or tonight. The work of all those who have believed in Christ. But Paul also sets before us how a sinner is saved. Let's follow what he's saying. The fact that a sinner calls upon the name of the Lord comes about not without means, but through the means of the preached word. Those who are sent by God preach the gospel of peace and preach Christ to those who are listening. It is through the hearing of the Word of God that faith is produced. Through the operation of the Holy Spirit, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Spirit accompanies the Word. Makes it powerful and effective. Here we have a summary of how the preached gospel becomes the means that the Holy Spirit uses. Some of us might think that faith is worked through a special experience. That it's not through the ordinary means of grace that God works faith by the Holy Spirit. Some of us are maybe waiting for a word from God Whatever that means for you. Whatever it is that you're looking for. My friend, the word is clear this morning. The word is nigh thee. It's right here this morning in the preaching of the gospel that this is what God uses to work faith. The gospel is clear. The gospel is simple. The gospel is announced. It's heralded forth. So faith is not produced by works, by religious activity, by misplaced focus of faith on the things that we do or say or think. Faith is produced by hearing. And of course, the work of the Holy Spirit is in the back of all of this. That's assumed as Paul is writing here. 
Some might object and say, well, I need to feel something before I believe. The Word of God comes to you this morning and says, no, you need to hear something in order to believe. You need to listen this morning to the preaching of the gospel. Some of you might say, why is God not speaking to me? The Word of God says, the Word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. Some might say, well, I'm such a sinner. How can I believe? Scripture says, whosoever believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. Take your eyes off of yourself and see Christ, the Lord who is rich over all that call upon him. Take this to be true this morning. The word is utterly and absolutely sufficient to produce faith. It's the Word of God, and if the Word of God has nothing to say this morning, we close it and we leave and we go on our way without faith. But the reality is that the Word of God is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It does divide to the joints and to the, to the marrow. It is speaking to us this morning because it is the very voice of God. And if it's the voice of God, it's also that which the Holy Spirit works, uses to work faith in the heart. We're not left to our own devices. God takes care of it all. He calls a sinner to submit to the righteousness of God and focus on Christ. As we finish this morning, I just want to continue without singing. And we see the response to the preaching of the word. This is where the rubber hits the road this morning. Paul points out the response to the preaching of the Word of God. And he's addressing the sufficiency of God's revelation of the preached Word. In verse 16, Paul says that not all have believed what they have heard. Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? In verse 18, he picks up again and asks, have they not heard? Quoting Psalm 19, yes, verily their sound went into all the earth, their words unto the end of the world. This is what Paul is referring to. God's general and special revelation leave all of humanity without excuse. He's picking, where he left, he picking, he's picking up where he left off in Romans 1 and Romans 2. The gospel is spread far and wide. The sound has gone into all the earth. The gospel is clear and demands a response this morning. Both general revelation and creation and special revelation in the word call for a response to who God is. In both, God has revealed himself. Of course, general revelation cannot say, but it does render those who see it and who hear it, in quotation marks this morning, to be without excuse. How much more special revelation this morning leaves us without excuse? Special revelation which continues to spread to the ends of, of all of the earth. Yesterday I was at the Ligonier Conference in Detroit, the ministry started by R.C. Sproul. And they shared an update of the ministry, the global reach of the ministry. Since its beginning, in the late 1980s, they've reached 50 million people around the world. The ministry of this church has reached hundreds and thousands of people around the world. The ministry of the seminary has reached hundreds and thousands of people around the world. But has the message of the gospel reached you this morning? God's word is sufficient. There'll be no excuse. It's the question of misunderstanding God's revelation. In the course of Paul's argument, he raises a hypothetical question that someone might raise. But, but I say, did not Israel know? Could it be possible that Israel did not have a clear understanding of the gospel? 
No, there should be no misunderstanding. Their unbelief is inexcusable, as Paul writes in verse 19. He marshals two witnesses to bear to show that Israel had a clear understanding of the gospel and God's intent for them to believe the gospel and God's activity if they would not believe the gospel in relation to going to the Gentiles. The first witness is Moses. First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. God would expand the gospel to other nations that, they, that He had not covenanted with as He had done with Israel. God would provoke Israel to jealousy for their unbelief. It wasn't a lack of understanding. It was that they refused to submit to the righteousness of God. Isn't this a question that some of us might ask? Could it be possible that someone or even I have a misunderstanding of the gospel even though I heard the gospel for many years? Is it possible that things are not sufficiently clear and that's why I'm not believing? It can be. There are cases of that. It is possible that things are not sufficiently clear in understanding and we allow for a progression of knowledge. But what Paul is getting at in answer to this question is that it's fundamentally not a question of misunderstanding regarding the hearing of the gospel and the response of faith. But it's a question of unwillingness. Brings us right back to verse 3. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Therefore, God was going to provoke them to jealousy. By going to bring the gospel to other nations. To those who had received all these privileges, all these blessings, he was going to pass them by. It's a warning for us, isn't it? That we not hide behind misunderstanding. That you come and truly confess this morning. It's a matter of unwillingness. That you will not bow your will to the righteousness of God that is revealed in the preaching of the gospel. Confess that, my friend. Before God passes you by to provoke you to jealousy. Don't wait. Don't wait. Yes, there is the long-suffering of God. That's what we see in our final Conclusion, the long-suffering of God, and it's here that Paul brings his second witness. Israel knew. Israel had the gospel. It wasn't a question of misunderstanding. Verse 20, but Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. A reference again to the Gentiles. He'd passed by the Israelites, he'd passed by the Jews, and he'd gone to the Gentiles, those who weren't asking for him. In these last verses, Paul shows how God's gospel will now move to the Gentiles. It's described in verse 20. The very fact that the Gentiles are included in God's plan of redemption is an act of sovereign grace. It's an act that highlights God's long-suffering to Israel. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying, an obstinate people. God's long-suffering with Israel. God's long-suffering with those who 
are still refusing to submit to the righteousness of God. God continues to stretch forth his hand of long-suffering this morning through the preaching of the gospel so that we are left without excuse. It's through the preaching of the gospel that he comes and that he works faith. As he reveals the righteousness of Christ as the only ground for salvation. And he says, submit. He reaches out his hand, his arm once more, and he says, come. Don't hide behind your excuses anymore. Don't hide behind your activity anymore, but come. The preaching of the gospel is sufficiently clear to leave us without excuse. And it's sufficiently clear to reveal to us Christ is the only ground for our salvation. And it's sufficiently clear to condemn us if we don't submit. Don't let the long-suffering of God be an excuse for you to delay the matter of faith. But recognize that the responsibility rests squarely on you this morning. You heard the gospel. You heard the preaching. And it is this that the Holy Spirit uses to work faith. And nothing else. Submit to his righteousness now. Even that has been preached to you this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word, for the righteousness revealed in it, for the power of the Word to bring to faith, for the authority of the Word that calls us to repentance and faith. We pray that we would heed Thy Word we not simply hear it with the ear. For hearing in Scripture always implies obedience. Help us to obey from the heart. Flee from the wrath to come and shelter the righteousness of Christ. To stop tiptoeing around trying to attain that righteousness. That we will never attain on our own. Help us, O God. Be merciful to us. Do not pass us by. We ask all this now, in Jesus' name, amen.